Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. We're going to be in Matthew 13 this morning. And the last time we came together, we um, went through the parable of the wheat, and, or excuse me, the parable of the soils, which is really a picture of the human heart, personality, each person's receptivity to God's Word. As we hear God's Word through evangelism, reading the Bible, listening to a sermon, is it doing something? Is it being cultivated in the heart, the soil of our heart? This morning we're going to be in the wheat and the tares, another parable. And if, for those of you that maybe have come from a church where they didn't really go deeply into the scripture, when you get into the parables, they're powerful, they're poignant, they're thought-provoking, right? They, they can evoke a lot of emotions because Jesus made such a powerful illustration with them. But this parable is indigenous only to Matthew's gospel. Now, if you're not in ministry, you might find it intriguing, interesting. If you are in ministry, you'll find this crucial. It's critical, very important. And what Jesus is trying to do, you have to think about this 2,000 years ago, he's looking forward as, he's, as God, God in human flesh. He knows that the church is going to survive a very long time and that things are going to get into the church that are unhealthy. And it's really important because today, when I try to especially witness to millennials, um, they have a lot of questions, and they also have a lot of things that irritate them about the church. And you'll find that as we go through this parable, that explains what they're seeing, the negative things in Christendom versus the church proper. Okay, Jesus is attractive. Jesus is the Son of God. Anyone can be attracted to Jesus. Everyone is attracted in some respect, but sometimes Christendom paints a, not a pretty picture um, and it's no reflection on Christ or God. It's, it's the organization of man. So the church, what is the church? And I have to say this from time to time. 2,000 years later, our vernacular has changed. People say, well, look, we have to go to church today. That's actually improper. If I hear you say it, I'm, don't worry, I'm not going to correct you. <laughs> but for the sake of teaching, we look at church as the building. This isn't church. Actually, the church got up this morning and came to the building to assemble and worship, Right? Back in the day, that's how the expression was. It always meant the people. So I'm going to go back and forth between the original meaning, how we view church today and as a building, and also how we view church today as an organiza organization. But Jesus wanted us to understand, and the world to understand, the difference between the church, body of believers who trust in Jesus Christ for their Lord and Savior, who are sealed with the Holy Spirit. We're not sinless. We're not perfect. But that's the church proper. That's the church in its unalterated form versus Christendom, which has the church in it, but also tares. Believe it or not, fake Christians. Right? We live in a world. We live in an unholy world. We live in a world of infiltration. We live in a world where Satan is still active. So we need to understand the difference between the two. First John 2, the apostle says to about a group of people, 2,000, roughly 2,000 years ago, he says, they went out from us, but they were never of us, and they were made manifest, or they were exposed. At some point, there were fake believers within this body that went out, and, and there was an exposure that took place. 
Uh, the Apostle Paul speaks about false brethren. They're not real Christians, although there's a, they pretend to be. I want to do a few diagrams, too, to help us to understand. And we're going to look at this in five parts. So like I said, you, wherever, whatever background you come from, believe you're going to find it very interesting. So jumping in to Matthew 13, starting with verse 24, another parable he, Jesus, put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemies came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Do you want us to go up and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now I'm going to skip down because we're going to st- it would be too much to cram into one sermon. We're going to talk about the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the leaven next Sunday. So let's skip down to verse 20, or 36. So some time passes by, and Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house. And his disciples, this is key, not necessarily just the twelve, those that really truly wanted to follow him, came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. If your heart is receptive to the word of God and you hear something that confuses you, or you don't understand, if you really are a follower of God, you're going to want, you're going to ask somebody, I need to know what this means. And the disciples wanted to know. He answered and said to them, he who sows the good seed is the son of man. Speaking of himself, Jesus Christ. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous, those in Christ, will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. Do we have ears this morning? Do we want to understand what Jesus is saying? (laughs) That's good. We got a yes. (laughs) The parable of the wheat and the tares. This is a simple story about farming that illustrates a spiritual truth. I could have titled this, and I was toying with the title, Corruption in Christendom. It would have fit. It would have been appropriate. If we could put up the first image, just to give you, you know, I enjoyed Venn diagrams when I was in school. I found them very illustrative, but... So basically what he's saying is the world is this large circle, right? This is the world. This is God's creation. (laughs) And you have two circles. Now, truthfully, this circle would be a lot smaller. Jesus said that the narrow road that leads to everlasting life, he said few find that road, few are on that road, even today. But the true church, right, the wheat is what he's speaking about right here. Now, there's also in the world, and there's many unbelievers that are wonderful people, people that I love and still want to see them get saved, okay? And the world is filled with people that just 
walk through life looking horizontal. They're never looking up, they're never looking vertical, they're just really consumed, and especially in American culture, with what's going on in their own life. The world's filled with that, but in that world is also tears. This is a, another level. This is somebody that Satan, is, through the power of suggestion, is able to convince them to come in and cause trouble within the church. So these are the tears. Now, there is this, again, it's Venn diagrams like in school. There's a crossover at some point where the church, the true church, maybe a local body church, maybe a ministry, there's tares mixed in with that, and that is understood as Christendom because Christendom contains the good and the bad, the pure and the unpure. And we know that at the end, the Lord will separate the wheat and the tares, although many times we can't see that right now. So we're going to take really a macrocosmic view of this, this parable. And I'm going to flip back and forth between farming. I'm learning a lot about farming <laughs> as I read the parables because he's mostly, it just was that culture. Everybody farmed back then. Today, to many of us, that's foreign, right? Especially with all the development. You, you know, farming, what, do I, what would I do in a farm? <laughs> so I have to kind of bring you back and help us to really get a grasp on what's going on. So when you look at this, it encompasses the local church, the aggregate church, ministries, true and false, Christians, true and false, and the Christian culture. This will explain problems in, I'm going to say this, perceived Christianity. Now, when I speak to the person on the street, which I love to do, and I try to tell them about God and Jesus, some of them are just antagonistic. Some of them, you could answer all their questions, and they're just, they have a chip on their shoulder. Others really want to know the truth, but they're really fr afraid of church. They're turned off by what they see in the media or what they might have experienced. So this explains problems in, like I said, perceived Christianity. Why some of it is loathsome. Why some of it is weird. Why some of it doesn't attract the unsaved. This helps to really explain church splits. Some of you might have experienced church splits. Um, I know people who have gone through church splits. And when I say church, I don't mean... And church splits and church deaths. I don't mean that the believers died. What I mean is, again, in the context, I mean the organization. There's a, there's a faction, there's people warring. It, it just starts, you can't have division in a church. There's a split, people leave, um, the church dies. And why? The answer is because there, you find me a church split, you find me a church death, I'll find you a tear or two in that church. Because... If we're all in harmony and worshiping together and we're in unity of the Holy Spirit, there is no church split. There is no division, right? There's no ethnic division. There's no racial division. There's no, you know, just like the world tries to put people in camps in the church, that's supposed to go away. We're supposed to come together as one. So find me a real problem in a church. I'm going to find you a tear or two. I might not know who they are, but I'm going to tell you that they're there. Interesting, isn't it? So Jesus knew that he was going to be resurrected he knew that he was going to ascend into heaven. And what was he doing? He's preparing his followers for 2,000 years of Christianity. You know, he, he was preparing us to understand. Um, when you see these problems, understand what's going on under the, the surface that we don't see. So if we look at the, the symbols, the first one, I'll, I'll group them in five parts. Verse 37 to 38, the sower is Christ, is the Son of Man. The seed goes to the wheat. So he speaks about the seed that Jesus sows, and what does he do? Throughout the world, people get saved. <clears throat> and then 
the Lord Jesus deploys his believers in places that he wants them to do his will. And we see the seed, but then we hear about the wheat. So there's this metamorphosis, there's this growth from the seed to the wheat. And as believers, we grow. Spiritually, we're supposed to. There shouldn't be a point in our lives that we ever, even if we're in our 80s and 90s, where we're like, I'm good, I'm grown, I'm mature. No, we're sinners. We always can grow. We always can learn and mature. So you see that going on. The field is the world. Now, so wheat. Wheat, what, is made to make bread. And back then, bread was the main staple in the human diet. It's not like today with all the choices. They didn't have supermarkets. Sometimes, you know, I'll go out and do the shopping, and uh, my wife will say, well, get a loaf of bread. And I go down the bread aisle, aisle two, and it's about 100 feet long and 8 feet tall. And there's 200 types of bread. There's white bread, there's brown bread, there's gluten-free, there's wheat-free, there's soy-free, peanut-free. And I look at all the breads, and I'm... I'm I'm st- I, I can't take it. It's an overload. I'm like, babe, which bread do you want? I want to close my eyes and just grab a loaf, right? But back then, it wasn't like that. You didn't have all these choices. And only if you were wealthy could you have a regular diet of meat. But every person took the wheat, they grinded it up, they made bread out of it, and that's how they survived. So everybody would understand back then what he was talking about. Let me just tell you something. The way I just explained it, and it's funny, I just was looking over my notes this morning, and I, the word came into my mind. It's a compliment <laughs> that Jesus says as believers, we're the wheat, knowing what wheat was back then. It's a compliment. God loves you. You know what I'm saying? He wants to use you. He thinks that you're beneficial. You know, sometimes we get down on ourselves, and we don't think that. But God has a different of opinion. I'd rather go with his opinion. It's a lot nicer. But the Bible says that we bear fruit. We bear a crop in maturity. And we're seeing this a lot in these teachings, especially in the parables. We all have spiritual gifts. And some believers, sometimes as new believers, they get down on themselves. They don't think they have anything to offer, and that's not true. God has sealed you with his Holy Spirit. He's given you spiritual gifts. Sometimes the blessing is finding that treasure in, within you that God has put in you, and you're like, wow. Or maybe somebody else points it out, and all of a sudden you get to be used by God. It's an amazing thing. I see people struggle when they don't have to. I see people leave church because they think that everybody in church is perfect and they just don't belong, and that's not true either. It's a lie from the enemy. It's the power of suggestion. It's maybe sometimes the old life, the old flesh, trying to drag you down when God's trying to pull you forward. So I just really want to encourage you with that this morning, and that applies to everybody here and everybody listening. The second thing, the second part is verses 38 and 39 in, in a movie, the, the scary music would play. Dum, dum, dum. <laughs> Here's the enemy, the antagonist, Satan. Yes, he's a real being. He sows into the world, into the field, tares or weeds or fake Christians. Now, again, going back to the culture, and I did some reading. Um, you know, today somebody doesn't like you. They vandalize your car or they steal something off your lawn, just something to irritate you. Back then, if you had an enemy, and pretty much everybody had a farm to different size, you know, field, different size to, you know, grow food, depending on where they were in life, that it wasn't uncommon for an enemy to find these seeds that were bad seeds that were, I'll talk about the bearded Darnell, 
that looked like wheat, and they would gather them up when they were trying to get rid of them, and they would keep them, nefarious people, they'd keep them in a bag, and they'd go out at night, and they'd go through your field, and they'd start throwing these seeds, right? Really nasty, <laughs> because you don't know. Just like the parable says, you wake up, and everything looks fine in a few weeks or months. You're like, what is this? They'll do it at night. And the Roman government actually had to outlaw it because it was a common practice. It was, it was rotten. It was a wicked thing to do. So Jesus speaks about this. Now, there is a, a type of ryegrass indigenous to that area called the bearded darnel. Anybody familiar with the bearded darnel? Wow, nobody? Well, you're in for a treat. <laughs> but it looks like wheat, but it's toxic. It's poisonous. So if you... Somebody makes you a loaf of bread and there's bearded darnel in it, you're going to get sick. It's nasty stuff. And there's some that are toxic to Christendom, to the local church. And they're hell-bent on besmirching the name of Jesus. And sometimes you wonder, why do they even bother going to church? It's the truth, right? <laughs> you know, I think about some of the things that I do read that are, that are happening in Christendom that are highly disturbing. And it's funny, in the back of my mind, because I love to tell people about Jesus, in the back of my mind, I think, just got that much harder for me to talk to people about the Lord. Because you read about these stories, and some of them are not true, but some of them are true. So I'll take the worst one. Right? The worst of the worst is when a minister or a priest or somebody um, you know, harms a child, a pedophilia scandals. And I look at that and I say, that's a tear. And what do some churches do? Because the person's got a title. They scoop them up and they send them to another congregation. Why would you do that? That person is a tear. I would hand them over to the authorities. They don't belong in the church. They don't belong around children. Why do I know they're a tear? Because they're constantly getting a mindset of, of folks that look at anything that has to do with church. Well, if that's the way to God, I want nothing to do with it. So again, right now we're about a third of the way through Many of you are saying, wow, that's interesting. It's starting to come together now. It makes sense. But Satan can't destroy the church. Jesus said that, right? The gates of hell would not prevail against my true church. But he can create a whole lot of havoc and make it ineffective. See, Satan not only blinds people from coming to God, but he also tries to thwart God's will wherever he can. And he's the great counterfeiter. Satan doesn't have an original thought. Whatever God does, he tries to imitate, but in an evil form, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. In the book of Revelation, the dragon, the Antichrist, and the false prophet, right? The, the three gods of the Egyptians, the three gods of the Babylonians. Not understanding the Trinity, but trying to mimic God in a demonic way. So, as Christ sows good seed, Satan sees what he does. He goes, well, I'm going to sow bad seed. He's a copycat. And I'm going to tell you something, when there's a true work of God anywhere, Satan will find it. And periodically, he'll throw some tears into that. Third part, the problem. The problem is that the wheat and the tares look the same until maturity. When they're mature, you can start telling the difference. As a matter of fact, in cultures that are plagued by the bearded darnel, they actually have a term for it. They call it false wheat. Pretty self-explanatory. If we can show these three images that I went extensively to look through, you know, different images, and this is actually wheat and bearded darnel together. Can anybody tell the difference? 
It's the same color. Yeah, if you're a horticulturist <laughs> or a master gardener. Um, let's move to the next one. Uh, so this is them together as well. You see the good and the bad. And I'm going to say that this is probably the darnel and this is the wheat. Next image. And then it just kind of gives. So the color is very similar. The structure is similar. Um, but this is, and just for the, so you know, this is more of a mature state. You can start to see the difference. Jesus is amazing, isn't he? 2,000 years later, you're like, that's genius. Well, of course, he's God, duh. And, you know, he's going to say things that are, that are brilliant. I mean, what, could we, should we expect anything less? But by the same token, you can't tell the difference between, it's funny, the, there's a term now. Everybody's throwing at each other. It's called fake news. <laughs> Both sides are slinging it. You're fake news. No, you're fake news. So today we're going to talk about fake Christians, okay? <laughs> All right, so let's get in with the, whatever else is going on out there. But basically, when a fake, when a tear comes in, um, you can't really tell unless two things. Number one, they show their true colors. Or the Lord gives you a special discernment to pick it up, okay? He says, he lets you know something's not right in this manner of behavior and what they're trying to sow in the church. Now, I'll tell you this as well, that he says, right, the, the angels do God's bidding. They want to take that right out of there. And Jesus says, no, 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 don't do it, because you can harm the good with the bad, so how do we know this in an agrarian sense? Well, very simple. When different plants or vegetation or whatever grow together, as they become more mature, they become bigger. They start to crowd in each other's space. They could intertwine with each other. And also the roots can interlock with each other. So if you try to pull out something that's bad, you could literally harm what's good as well. How about in a sense of people? Well, I think that, you know, I believe that people can change. The Bible is clear that people can change. As a matter of fact, some tares can be converted and to become true believers. So I'll give you some examples. I'm, I'm really big in overseas news. I'm really big in what my, the missionaries are telling me. I get bombarded with emails and newsletters and um, even news about missionaries. And they, it's a common practice that whether they're in communist China or ra radical Islamic states, that tares come in to the Bible studies to learn about the Christians and then report it to the authorities and the authorities come in and raid and arrest people. Imagine that just for being Christians. But it happens. It, we, we don't understand that. As Americans, we have so many safeguards, but it happens overseas. But I'm going to tell you this, that every so often, actually it happens a lot, that some come in with nefarious purposes and after hearing the word of God, they change. And then they try to go home and they're, uh, they're, you know, they try to keep it a secret. Well, they're Christians now. What do I do? You know, they're going to kill me. And that's what happens in other countries. There's a, a huge harvest in radical Islam. Um, I'm telling you, I'm getting it from so many sources that, that God is really doing a work through these hardline theocracies and bringing some of these even radicals to Christ. It's an amazing thing. So why does God say don't do it? Don't harm them. He's like, because you can harm something that might be good. Or maybe there's an intertwining between people and groups and you start snatching it away too quickly and you might hard the, harm the good with the bad. God's truths are timeless. You know, if you look at, again, now let's go to Christendom. It's got tares in it. And we look over the years, and I'll, I'll just mention some things. Inquisitions, forced conversions, Salem witch trials, uh, middle-age cleansing of heretics. 
when I think about that, I say, did they not read this? Did they not? If God told the good angels not to do it, well, then certainly we shouldn't be doing it. And it's a horrible witness. You know, it's funny that when Jesus walked with his disciples, there were some towns that didn't receive the gospel, didn't receive Jesus. And, and his disciples were so on fire. They were so excited about the miracles and the teachings. And James and John, maybe they were little hotheads in the beginning, one particular town that didn't receive them, they went to Jesus and said, shall we call fire down on this town like Elijah did? And Jesus was like, no, no, no. He goes, you don't know what manner of man you are. You know what I'm saying? But did some in Christendom do this? Did some churches and organizations do this? Yes, they did. Well, guess what? They were in disobedience because God said, don't do it. God allows human history to play out for a reason. Now, I, I think to myself, so let me throw in a few other factors to confuse and muddy the, hopefully I'm, you know, Christianity is a thinking person's faith. God gave us a big brain, and we can think about things on multiple levels. We can walk and chew gum at the same time. I think about um, governments. So does this mean that we should always be passive? Does this mean that a Christian can't go into the military and fight a, a, a war? You know, the answer is no, they can Romans 13 covers police, military, those that are tasked to protect and serve, to defend borders and nations. All right, so again, let's not mix the two. This is specifically those in the name of Christ going to try to um, weed out heretics and take their lives. And it's really sad. The Anabaptists were persecuted. They had a different belief system from the church at the time. There was a lot of persecuted groups that were almost wiped out because they were considered heretics. Honestly, if I lived in a town where there was all witches, I would think, wow, I love evangelism. This is great. Fresh meat. You know, let me, I'm not going to burn them at the stake. I want to tell them about Jesus. Maybe some of them will turn. So, you know, we got to, you know, if, if, if you see Christendom doing weird stuff, chances are they're not following the scripture. They're being disobedient. The fourth part is deceit. Verse 25, while men slept, the enemy did this. While men slept under the cover of darkness, careful not to expose itself. And sometimes I believe Christians um, are not being discerning. Sometimes that's, there's, there's an element of those outside the church, not a lot, that think, I want to scam somebody, I want to prey on someone, and they're their MO is to actually find a church congregation to go in and scam them because Christians are gullible. They'll give me their money. They'll give me this. They'll let me live with them. Um, these things happen. And I got to tell you, destroying tares is forbidden, but it also doesn't mean for us to check our minds at the door and receive foolish things, okay? So if somebody has just got out of prison for harming children, I'm not going to be quick to take them into my house and put them in the bedroom next to my son. So it's just common sense. Um, but understand the terms here. Understand what's going on. Now, does it mean, and I, I shared this at the overnight, there was a question about it. You know, I go out and there's a place to eat, whatever. I don't want to say the names, but fast food or whatever. And I'll go in and sometimes I'll find somebody with, you know, they're all bundled up, they have a beard, they're scruffy. They have a cane, and they look down on their luck. And um, I, people say, well, do you have money? I remember the last guy I talked to, I said, listen, you find anything on that menu, food, drink, dessert, it's yours. 
I said, but um, I don't give money out. So he did. I, all I got was a coffee. <laughs> and I said to the lady, everything else is his. Just he was sitting there and she brought it to him. Now, could I be getting beat at, time, at times? Could the guy be scamming me? It's, it's only money. I really don't care. Uh, you know, I did it unto the Lord. If that guy's scamming me and he goes home and he doesn't really need the cane and he, sh- he shaves and <laughs> he goes and does whatever, that's on him. So as Christians, are we going to be beat sometimes? Yes, we will, and it's okay. Am I going to co-sign on his house loan anytime soon? Probably not. So, so, you know, these things, we have to talk about it, right? But what does a tear look like? Well, that's just the thing. It doesn't look like anything. You know, and here's the funny thing. We, we hear words bias, prejudice. Everybody knows, whether we're in the church or in the world, it's wrong to judge based on appearance. We all know that. Did you know the word bias and prejudice can also be in a positive sense, right? We can, so I can look at my son and I can think he's the most handsome 17-year-old on the planet because I'm biased. He's my son, right? I'm prejudiced for him. Well, if the same thing goes here, as we can't look at someone and judge them negatively based on appearance, we also can't judge them positively based on appearance. Think about this. As Christians, we're tasked to look at fruit more than appearance, so you could have a, a, a ministry, a pastor or a pope who's charismatic, has a large following, and apparently successful and think that they're good. So we should listen to them, right? Wrong. Because we're doing it again. We're being biased in a favorable sense. Right? So, again, Jesus, whether it's the Bible or society, says don't judge based on appearance. And I'm going to say that goes for positive and also negative. But we do have to judge fruit at times. And I said this in the last sermon, that we have to stop, as the Christian culture, we vote with our dollars. We have to stop making millionaires out of heretics, okay? There are things we shouldn't do, but there's also things we should do. Now, what about on a local church level? What is a local church to do if somebody comes in and they are a tear? Well, again, we're not a theocracy, like these Middle East countries supposedly enforcing God's law by hurting people or taking their heads off. That's not us. Um, But we also need to employ some type of protection against our members. So let me give you an example. And again, we're going to go aggregate, we're going to go local. So aggregate. I see or I know of a a big ministry. The seats are being filled. Um, They're making a fortune. They're writing books. They're on TV. What can I do? I could send that person an email and say, you're a heretic. Just delete it and block me, I'm sure. My job here at the pulpit is to tell you the truth, and I've done that. I've named names, ministries, I've gotten the transcripts, I've read them to you, this is what they say, this is what the Word of God says, don't be fooled by them. So that's how we can look at something in an aggregate sense. What about in a local sense? Well, 1 Corinthians 5 speaks about how to deal with that as well. Um, You know, somebody comes into the church and they're looking to cause problems. Basically, you know, you show grace, you give them a chance to change and change their ways, and if they don't, say, listen, knock it off or leave. You're, you're causing problems in here. You know, it's not, it's not the type of church that we are. Tears in Western Christianity come in ver- various forms. You know, you, people look out at Christendom. What does the media show on TV? Cults? Oh, we're Christians. No, you're not. <laughs> it's a cult. A cult is tears. You look at um, even some high-profile ministries teaching false doctrine and confusing believers and not knowing what they believe anymore because they're reading all these weird books. That's, that's tears, too. What about, and I'll just say it because they love to be in the media, there's a small church out in the Midwest that is mostly run by a family, the Westboro Baptist Church. If you don't know who I'm talking about, 
they go to funerals, military funerals and stuff, and they have these placards that are horrendous. God hates soldiers. God hates the United States. God hates homosexuals. It's disgusting. And the media loves to show them and then put it on the TV and say, this is Christianity. No, it isn't. They're tares. First of all, their statements aren't even accurate. God's not sitting up there hating everybody. He loves everyone. That's why he sent Jesus to die for our sins. They're tares, okay? So how does this look in a local church? Well, I'll give you some examples I've seen in um, 14 years of being a senior pastor. Not only that I've seen that, I know that other people, that other pastors and ministries have experienced. So we went to the aggregate level. Now let's go to the local level. Somebody comes in, and they feign a financial need. They come in, and they, you know, they try to be out of sight of the leadership, and they go from person to person telling their story. Um, they may not have need, and they try to get you know, money. They try to leech off of people. They try to get a database of people. So even if they're asked to leave, they still have those contacts. Another situation in the first group is a person who comes in and tempts others to fall back into sinful lifestyle. So I repent every day. I get up every day. I haven't had a day yet, even as a Christian, where I haven't sinned in some way, whether in my mind or, or doing it physically with actions. So I repent. I don't come here from the pulpit and say, hey, I really sinned big last night. We should all try this. It's a lot of fun. I'm embarrassed. I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to tell God I need to repent. See what I'm saying? But a terror will come in and, and not want to change, not want to be moved by the word of God or draw closer to God. They want to bring everybody down to their level. So that's the first group. Second, this type of person, may, maybe they don't want money, but they're, they're narcissists. They have a, a self-aggrandizement need. And they come in and they try to get contacts. They don't serve. They don't support the church in any way. But they try to draw people in so they can have authority over them, so they could be a leader. Some people just love to be leaders. They love that authority. Um, they have no compunction to do the right thing. And basically, they try to build a following in that way. It, 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 it just keeps feeding the narcissism. Third group, two more. Somebody comes in and they try to do something that they shouldn't, and they come in with this almost like a, a dummy business. It's this pretend ministry, and they're the head, and they collect the money, and they're the ultimate authority, and there's no accountability. And they use that to get everybody's defenses down so they can come in and do what they need to do. Fourth group, somebody comes in with a charismatic personality or a really good pretend sob story. They're a flash in the pan, and they start causing division within the church. Their name is on everybody's lips, and they're either pro or for that person. You know, that's why I love in this church where we, we rotate, even our teaching. Pastor Vinny, Pastor Paul, my elders, it isn't, it's not the Joe show. You know, you guys get blessed by variety of teaching from different men who are hearing from the Holy Spirit. Same thing with the women, diversity. So this type of person comes in, and I actually had one situation. It was a long time ago. Maybe only one person will know who I'm talking about. And this woman come in. She had a, a good appearance, right? And she t told a story that I actually had to vet and find out it wasn't true. Without a doubt, it wasn't true. And some months go by, and all of a sudden, some of the ladies in the church asked to speak with me after the service. And there's this battle of the sexes going on in the church. 
All the wives are on one side, and they're all fighting with their husbands because they're on the other side. This woman came in and just weaved such a web of lies that she got people in the church to be divided. And I told her, you need to knock it off and repent or you've got to go. And she didn't stop. And I found out that the next church she went to, she did the same thing. That's a tear, okay? I have to be honest with you. I'm good with people who come in, they're loud, they're a bull in a china shop, they're obnoxious, and everybody can see them from a mile away. Some of the people that scare me, I don't mean I'm afraid, afraid of them, but the passive aggressives, they have that soft voice and they get to manipulate people with the way they talk. Because <laughs> then when you've got to do something, you're mean. <laughs> that mean pastor, you know. So, uh, listen, everybody has different personalities and I know many soft-spoken people that are wonderful. I'm talking about the one that covers themselves with that type of behavior. Uh, I, I'm going to tell you, there's a statistic out there that says, and I can't remember the word that they used, it takes an average of seven, let's say, troublemakers in a ministry over time for a pastor to just quit. Seven people. They could come in at different stages, just stirring up trouble, stirring up trouble. And the pastor just was like, you know what? I think I'm going to be a carpenter. I don't want to do this anymore. Uh, I've seen good men quit ministry because of this type of stuff. Good, good men. And I'm going to say one I can particular think about definitely a better man than me and he's not leading a church anymore it's sad uh, because of this type of behavior because it tears there's a reason the lord wanted us to know this throughout the ages because then knowledge is power when you understand what the lord is saying there's almost an expectation that every few months something's going to happen and you may have to deal with it now can i tell you something what i don't want us to do is we're going to have communion soon I don't want you passing the cup and bread and looking at each other suspiciously. Are you a tear? Are you a tear? No, please, let's not do that. <laughs> if you're in ministry, you need to know this. Let's not start being the tear police here. <laughs> so the fifth part, the harvest or the end of the age. This is where human history, of course, it's in our future because we're all still here where human history has run its course and everyone will be judged. Two types of judgment for the believer in Christ, much like the Olympic. You get in the gold, you get in the bronze, you get in the silver. It's so awesome. You did this, you're an evangelist. You served in the children's ministry. You, you had uh, just an encouraging ministry in your neighborhood. It doesn't have to be a flash in the pan thing. There's really no, well, I did this. and you, That's stupid. The disciples did that and Jesus rebuked them and they changed. Just just a, a modest way of bearing fruit and the Lord says well done thy good and faithful servant welcome into the joy of the Lord can't wait to hear those words uh, I'm not looking to be on top above at his right hand I just want to get in the door <laughs> you know what I'm saying I'm just looking for that day the other type of judgment are, are for those that have rebelled against the Lord have refused uh, God's way of salvation through Jesus remember for God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. John 3, 17. For God did not send his son to condemn the world. That wasn't the plan. But that the world through him, through Jesus, would be saved. Right? Would have eternal life. So God sent his son Christ to die for our sins. We believe in that sacrifice. And we're saved. And we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. And we're his eternally. And it's a wonderful thing. Um, verse 40, or continuing on, the reapers, the angels. Again, we, in our society, we see the cute, chubby, you know, two-year-olds with the chubby cheeks and the blonde ringlets and the halo and the little wings. 
If you really look at what angels were in the Bible, they, were, they are, they're still around, they're powerful beings. And they're the reapers. At the end, they're going to round up everyone and bring them before the throne of God. And we're all going to be on either one side or the other, but it's a choice. So in verse 41, there's major weeding, major removing from all of God's creation. He says, that offends or is lawless. It's sinners not covered by the blood of Christ. He says they will be burned with fire. They'll be eternally lost in the lake of fire, Revelation says, where there'll be wailing and gnashing of teeth or eternal torment. Any so-called Christian, author, or so-called pastor that denies the existence of hell is a tear. Why did Jesus talk so much about the eternal fire, blah, blah, blah? He spoke more about it than heaven, and the reason is because he doesn't want anybody to go there. Nobody has to go there. People actually will step over Christ and his, his salvation for their sins, his you know, um, propitiation for their sins, and go voluntarily into that place of eternity. People make that choice. Nobody has to go there. So I'm going to say this. Anyone, any of these teachers and these authors, Love Wins by Rob Bell, the guy's out of his mind. It's a great title, but it's heresy. And what happens is you deceive people into thinking that there is no judgment at the end. That's cruel. That's mean. I'd rather people don't like me here, but when I get to see them during the judgment seat, they said, you, you, did, you did tell me the truth. You were honest with me. Check this out. I'm going back and forth. Modern machinery, in especially these areas indigenous, uh, modern machinery, when it goes through the harvest field, when it goes through the field and it's ripe for the harvest, it goes, and it just starts taking everything up, running it through. It's, these machines can actually separate <laughs> actual wheat seeds from bearded darnel. Isn't that impressive? I mean, and you see this with centrifuges and such, and you know, blood centrifuges. Uh, basically, it's done by mass, and, and you see the, the gradations when it's done, how everything is separated based on mass, size, things like that, weight. But this machine can actually, in today's modern technology, it can separate the wheat from the tares and the seeds. So are God's truths timeless or what? It's pretty impressive. He says the righteous will shine forth as the sun. In other words, eternal joy with God and his kingdom. Jesus uses the most elaborate, most beautiful, most powerful terms to express what it's going to be like in the kingdom with God. I love that. It's just, it just gives you so much hope. It fills your heart with so much joy. And the way I look at it is this way. I had several titles. I had <laughs> The Wheat and the Tares was going to be a title, and that was what I chose. Um, Crisis in Christendom, Corruption in Christendom, and one of the titles I had was Barn or Burn. <laughs> but, but that's where I'm going to end with, Barn or Burn. God takes the believers, as the wheat as a picture of believers, and they're, they're bundled up, and they're brought into his house. That's how much God thinks of you and I. He's come to save us. We receive that salvation. We become adopted into his family. We're adopted sons and daughters, and we're in his barn. He looks and he says, this is precious, all these little wheat seeds, all these little believers that are saved by the blood of Christ. The rest get bundled up, and they're sent into the fire to burn for eternity. So my question to you this morning is, where do you want to end up? Barn or burn? I want to end up in barn. <laughs> you know, I've experienced enough in this world. I, I'm, I'm, I'm ready for the barn. 
I'm ready for the eternal supper. I'm ready for the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's, that's me personally. So as we, as we close, yes, for those in ministry, this is a really good object lesson. But for everybody else, where are you going to spend eternity? Maybe some came into this church and didn't expect that question. Maybe some came into this church and were looking to be entertained and didn't realize that there was a big invisible mirror that's saying, well, what about me? You know, how, how many years do I have left? There's accidents that happen all the time. We plan, but the Lord knows what our expiration date is, but he didn't tell us. So I just would encourage you as we close to consider that, your eternal status. And today you can make that choice to follow him and you can be in his barn. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.